Welcome to Just Some Brothers, a podcast with no agenda other than meeting with special guests of notoriety who may be known in sport, maybe music, and maybe even education. For that matter, anything. People who have live stories that we can resonate with as individuals. Hopefully during our segments, you get something out of it. If it's one sentence, one word, take it away with you. Because we're here as Just Some Brothers. Having some fun, spreading the word, open your mind and enjoy your time with us. We've got our cast and crew here, Arby, Din and Maka, and we are Just Some Brothers, spreading the word. What we'd like to do to start the show is not to bring someone of notoriety on, but to share an experience of one of us. So stay tuned, get yourself a coffee, sit on down, relax and listen to what life has to offer. In these times we live in, I think anyone that's a fair bit younger than us don't really remember how good the 80s was. Greg Evans and his bum part, Tiffany Lamb and her beautiful firm. Dexter, the robot, (laughs) the love expert. Yeah, We've got a mate here who was actually on Perfect Match. And when was that, Mac? Back in 91, um, I'd actually just decided to move up with uh, with footy and just sort of come up here for a couple of years in uh, Queensland. Yeah. And they said, uh, we're going to do a Queensland show. So that was the start of um, what became the story. Right. So if any, anyone is not familiar with the show, Perfect Match, it was a show that ran from the 80s, isn't that right, Mac? Like 80s into the 90s? I think they did two versions. So uh, there was Perfect Match, which obviously Greg Evans started with uh, Tiffany Lamb. I think they went through a, a few... Um, Co-hosts, Greg Evans was still doing the, Greg the Evans, main host, yeah, yeah. and then I think I think there was a stage that went to Blind Date, and Cameron, yeah, 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 Cam, yeah, yeah. Cameron Dando became the main. But I I was involved with the Perfect Match one. Yeah. So if anyone is not familiar with the concept of Perfect Match, it's it's pretty much like a uh, three guys and a girl picks a guy. So like three contestants, three contestants, whether it's three guys and the girl ask the questions yeah the girl asks the and questions. the three guys have to answer yep behind a behind like a petition wall behind the love the love wall the love wall you can't see the contestants you're just basically going off voice of voice and, and off answers and off the answer yep. right yeah yep. then you would remember there was a couple that came back every destination to two couples went to and then the second part of the show was so say the first part was a girl was asking questions to guys the second part would be a guy asking three girls yeah, so the, yeah, the first segment of the show was the, the new contestants coming on. So you'd have three blokes. They were separated by a wall from a woman who, who would ultimately be picking one of those to go away with. And the second was the, the, the wrap-up. The previous of, contestants. That's right. The previous winners coming back. Yeah. And discussing their trip away. Yep. yep. And, and wasn't it like the ones that came back, they, they would talk about their thing and whether or not they wanted to be with that person or go yeah, or it was, continue it looks, to So see, it was yeah. a pretty much... Um, part of the contract was that you would go away to a destination. Um, so the, all the shows were done on a Thursday night. So the five shows were done on a Thursday night. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right through the Friday, all on Thursday night. So we'd get ready for the show. We didn't know which night we were on. Basically, it was recorded a few weeks before. But different people coming on and getting questions to to answer. And as you say, it was um, Dexter would give us a rating, whether I think mine was 82%. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was based on two things, was was the sound of the voice. And, um, and the second is, of course, the type of answer that they gave, whether you liked it. Yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting time. So, how how did you actually get selected? What what was the preamble to get you motivated Look, to be on this show? Well, it was interesting because you know I came up to just sort of spend a couple of years up here with footy, and I didn't see a cloud for five months. So I thought, why would you go back? But the club said at that time that look, Channel Ten had wanted to do a Queensland show. Was anyone interested going up to um, get interviewed? So there was two of us actually. There was another mate of mine from the footy club and myself went up and. It was up to Mount Cutha and pretty much they just asked one or two questions and said, we'll get back to you. And, but the funny part about it, I remember answering my question and then my mate, who was second coming up and he sat down and the girl, girl actually said the question, said, you know, what do you like about girls? I actually can't remember my answer, but I do remember his because he just said, long as they're breathing. Um, <laughs> so uh, he actually... The 80s. <laughs> needless to say, uh, needless to say, my friend didn't get uh, past the auditions. So, yeah, I got the phone call on a Tuesday saying you're going to be jumping on a plane to go to the show on Thursday, which uh, was uh, the start. So everything's on them? They supply the, the plane to go up, the accommodation, all that sort of thing? Yeah, Channel 10 pretty much put it on. So it was, you know, the start of the whole story was that get the phone call Tuesday, we're going to go, you're going to fly down to Melbourne, which was quite ironic because I'd only been up here for about four or six weeks. At this stage, we got told all the shows were going to be on a Thursday. So I thought let's cheat, you know, because I'm not just going to go on the voice and the question. I need someone to help me with the look. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I organised because you got six tickets, so I yeah. asked six of my friends to go to the show. And the deal was that if he wiggled his right ear, that was contestant number one. If he wiggled the nose, it would be the middle contestant. And if he wiggled his left ear, that was number three. So I knew if I was selecting the girl... Yeah. I was, oh, going to yeah. get a, I was going to get a good looker. Yeah, you had a, you had a heads up on I wasn't worried about the traits rather yeah. than all yeah. the other yeah. stuff. Yeah. But you're going on your mate's selection criteria. Well, yeah, that's – so you had to have yeah. someone you trust. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically uh, jumped on the plane and as you do, we're sitting in the plane about to head down to Channel 10 in uh, Nunawadding in Melbourne. And I said to the guy next to me, I said, uh, mate, what are you uh, going to Melbourne for? And he said, you wouldn't believe it, I'm going on perfect match. I said, oh, Really? Hang on a second. And I said to the guy next to him, I said, mate, you wouldn't be going on perfect match, would you? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, guess what? We're the three getting selected. We're not choosing. So yeah. we might as well get on the piss. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Let's all just get on it. Yeah, straight away, somewhere. straight away we're on the plane and we're just drinking. Um, we arrive at, at uh, Melbourne Airport. Uh, there's a limo there with perfect match up there. So we jump in the limo. I said to the guy, straight to the Essendon bottle shop. Uh, we grabbed a carton of Jim Beams and we drank those all the way to uh, Nunawadding. Oh, no. So by the time we got to the show, I can tell you, we all, you know, about got to Channel 10, we were pretty tanked. Yeah, toasted. Um, and funny enough, we go into this room and here's all the shows. Everyone's in there. <laughs> and they've got on this table four casts of wine to take the nerves away. Yeah. Well, we didn't have nerves. <laughs> no. So we started drinking the wine as well. But they give you the three questions before you go on. So right. because they oh, have yeah, prep. They yeah. want to they want to check that the answers are good before you get on. Sure, sure. 
So, so was, when you get there, do you meet the the hosts and stuff straight? Or do no, they have an we, intermediary? We never, we, we never saw Greg or yeah. um, the co-host, but we never saw any of those until we actually walked out on the stage. They took oh, us out yeah, there yeah. and said, here it is. And then we just went back in the room. We got the three questions. Basically, we had to um, write our answers down. And then when it was time to go out to do our show, they would have a whiteboard that would, you know, if you sort of got nervous and, you know, there was a prompt there that says, for example, what are you going to do? It would say three words that would prompt you to remember your answer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, because sure. they think they could cut the show and just edit it. Yeah. Um, but they liked it to flow. Yeah. Well, it was there... There was a live audience. Wasn't yeah, there? so the, there was yeah, a live yeah. audience for every like you're show. Saying your friends were in there. Yeah. Everyone was. So what happened? When the girl's name was actually Sue. Yeah. Um, so we got out on stage, and um, it was our turn. And of course, we've got our three questions. And so obviously, you never met Sue. You didn't. No, see Sue of course. Well, you that, the, that's the whole. That's yeah. the whole secret of yeah. the thing is that you know you don't get to see. Okay. Yeah. Until you get to the, the you know the love wall. The yeah. reveal. Yeah, and then the. the the heart wall comes back or the love wall comes back and then, of course, you know, you meet your perfect match. And, of course, little Dexter gives the percentages of, of what you are. Over to Dexter for the perfect match. I have scanned my computer banks and checked your selection. Your compatibility score ends up with your perfect match of 76%. So I actually got two out of the three questions that she chose. Um, so she went with the odds. Okay. Um, so I got invited up to the... To the love wall, and of course it would come back, and there was Sue. Let's um, let's let's rewind it, right? Rewind back a bit to um, the like you guys are you guys are sitting in the green room, I yep, assume. Yep. He's about to go out. How tanked are you for this? Time? Oh, look, um, on a scale of one to ten, we were probably get kicked out of a pub almost. <laughs> um, so were you were you just as bad as the I other? I was two as bad or? as uh, the one in the middle. He it was actually he was quite funny because um, he had a wig. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I sort of looked at him and, he, you know, well, he's a little bit of a weird one, but he actually was so pissed that um, on the second question, Sue said, if you had the opportunity, what would be your perfect date? You know, and I gave my one, which was uh, we go out for dinner and end back at a room and I might serenade you with my guitar and it was all a lovey-dovey sort of answer. Yeah, and, yeah. and his was about going to Dreamworld and going down a slide and something, I don't know. Oh. And I, I remember seeing the prompt and he was so, he was so pissed that uh, he's going, um, I'd uh, take you to um, – and if you watch the show, you actually could hear me in the background going, Dreamworld. Dreamworld. Oh, like I, I was yeah. prompting him because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how pissed he was. So he was just going, uh, and we'd go Dreamworld and um, we'll go, we'd go on the slides, we'd go on the slides. And it was an embarrassing moment of the show in terms of um, <laughs> he should have taken his wig off. But, you know, it was, it was, it was bad. So, you know, he was almost not a contestant. It was just me. I was number three, the other guy, obviously two and one. So I was really against number one. But... Um, as I said, went with the odds with two, then becomes uh, history is uh, meeting Sue. So when, when the, the, the wall comes apart and you see her, did you get a vibe from her at all? Because I assume that anyone that's been on that show when that wall comes, they're going to see someone going, oh, or, you know, some sort of subtle, oh, yeah, all right, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, like it's funny people's perceptions of what you think that you go on the show for. Yeah. I mean, for me it was always going to be a fun yeah. time. Sue actually was going on for a life partner. So right. there are different varying parts of what people expect off the show. So, of course, meeting Sue was, um, yeah, nice Sue. She's reasonably attractive, very acceptable. 
funnily enough, after the show, because after they do the whole five shows, um, we have an after party. Yeah. So Sue expected, this is how serious Sue was, well, well let's, let's, at the after party, you know, let's get to know each other because yeah. on Friday the next day we're flying to Port Douglas, that was our destination. We arrived at the airport and our chaperone was Graham, really nice guy and another couple. Um, uh, remember jumping on the plane, arriving at Port Douglas. Um, as you said before, like Channel 10 put everything on. So it was all, it was all catered for. Um, you pretty much had a camera in your face the whole time. But yeah. Obviously you've got cameras around and stuff because they're trying to find little snippets to paint the picture of the time away. But there's obviously times when you guys are on the beach or you're having a drink or after hours and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, look, so. they're, not, they're not 24-7. It's not, you know, it's not like Big Brother, yeah. you know, come to Did the room. Did you have designated times where you had to meet somewhere and they would Yeah, like through? we would meet for breakfast yeah. and meet for lunch and meet yeah. for dinner and um, so it was... Do they put you in the same room? No. Okay. We're all in separate rooms because, again, it's of a course. family atmosphere. You're not allowed to do anything wrong or inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. We got on it on the um, on the Friday night. So this was night one. Anyway. Um, How was she, Mac? Was she like into it too? Like, was she getting she was, uh, she was. She was my personality in terms of was happy to, you know, have like a good time. And, yeah. And um, from that point is that we um, – we got on well. Yeah, good. You know, you were there for, you know, just a good time. It was a novelty. You'd been selected to do it. And then she was sort of looking for a partner to start a life with. When did you become aware of that? Was it on the plane or? Really the first night where you, you know, you sort of have that after party and it's all about getting to know each other. And I could tell from that point that this was a little bit more serious for her, which became evident later. But um, certainly for me it was, as I said earlier, it's... It was a fun thing to do and, yeah. and and certainly you knew you had a couple of days with this person coming yeah. up, so you might as well enjoy it. And look, Sue was, a, Sue was a really nice girl, so it wasn't going to be any dramas getting on with her. As time went on, we certainly found that we had quite a bit in common. Yeah. Um, she wasn't going to be the girl of my dreams, but um, certainly we could have a good time and maybe... Maybe something might happen of it, I mean, but certainly there was no expectations from me. Yeah, right. Quick question, mate. Where where was she from? Was she Brisbane. From so Brisbane, it was it was yeah. the Brisbane show. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So anyway, getting back to the first night, yep. you're at the club yep. straight away? Yes. You're getting into it. Yeah, so we're driven to the to the club, um, had a good night out there and we, we all came back to the resort. For whatever reason, all five of us, the chaperone, the other couple and um, Sue and myself ended up back at Sue's room, you know, just all having a little quiet drink there and there, that was probably the first time I realised that Graham was pretty laid back and, and was just there to just ensure that we followed a bit of protocol and, yeah, and yeah. the right things were done. You're back at her room where you're just kicking on, you just... Yeah, well, we were sitting there having a couple of drinks and... So I was lying on the bed, on the single bed and sort of half dozing off and I think the other couple had left and the chaperone was there, Graham, and I actually think I sort of half dozed off and I remember Graham saying, Sue, do you want me to grab Neil and get him out of the room? And she said, no, look, it's okay, he can, he can sleep there or whatever. Anyway, Graham left and uh, this is when I knew that it was okay. So I actually stood up and because it was two single beds, there's a little cabinet in the middle of the yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just got up and moved the cabinet, pushed the two single beds together and she said, what are you doing? Oh, and yeah, I said, yeah. uh, well, Sue, come on, you know, we're, we're perfect matches, you know, like we uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe something should happen here. 
Yeah. And um, and it did. Yeah. We uh, we found out that we were a little bit more inclined to each other than we probably first thought. Yeah, nice. nice. First night. So that's uh, that's yeah. what I found out about the contract because um, <laughs> because uh, the next day I got up early and I saw Graham and he's getting ready to do you know, get ready for the you know, the TV cameras and questions and etc. Because everyone else wasn't up and I just said to him, Hey mate, uh, I've just got a question for you. What was in that contract that we signed before we left Channel Ten? And he said, what do, you, what do you mean? And I said, well... What I just said? Yeah, there was a contract. I signed it. I didn't read it. It was there anything that we're not supposed to do? And he said, no, it's, um, it's about when, you know, when we're on the show, there's two couples go to every destination and as a couple comes back, what you agree to is that you'll come back and get interviewed. And I said, that's it, is it? And he said, uh, yeah. And I said, I said, good, because I slept with uh, Sue last night. Yeah, right. And he said, um, oh, that's great, mate. That's 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 great. So he was he was a he was a great chaperone. But it was it was fun and games. This is where the story sort of quite interesting. I'm not sure what you say is it three, six, or seven degrees of separation. But yeah. of course, as I said, I, I moved up. I'd only been up in Queensland for about four or six weeks, and I was. I was playing down in Melbourne with a club called Sandringham and uh, I was actually going out with a girl who was a police woman in um, Hawthorne uh, in Melbourne. And um, anyway, we were sitting at breakfast and of course Graham knows that we've already had this conversation that yeah. Sue and I um, got friendly um, the night before. And um, so I was sitting there and the other couple are Cosmos and uh, Graham says to the girl, because you know, they, they were pretty straight, the other couple, and he said, uh, Samantha, what do you what do you think about uh, Jeff? And she said, Oh, you know, we'll wait till the we go through the weekend to just see how it goes. And, yeah. And he says, What do you think going out with a copper? And sort of my ears pricked up because I broke it up with a girl in Melbourne. I knew the other couple actually were from Melbourne, and uh, I said, Mate, where 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 are you? Um, where are you, copper? And he said, I work at Hawthorne Police Station. And I said, You. You work at Hawthorne Police Station. I said, you wouldn't happen to know Elise Levand. And he said, yeah, she's coming up next week to see a guy called Neil. <laughs> now, what are the odds? What are the odds? And, of course, Sue looks oh. at me, who's obviously on the show to meet a perfect match, yeah. starts telling me off that, you know, like... So we're, she, we're, she put two and two together? Well, got... very quickly, you're Neil. Um, yeah, yeah, she knows. You know her. her. You yeah. know this yeah. coffer. Yeah. yeah. So she's coming up to see me to, you know, to uh, in a couple of weeks. So I said, "So look, we broke it up. There's nothing. It's okay." But I'm just sitting there and going, "Well, if could anything else go wrong here? Because this is that, that's a meander one." Yeah. Um, but certainly, um, that was the start of sort of just understanding that Sue was very serious about this whole show, yeah. and Graham was a really nice guy as a chaperone. Yeah. So. So this is this is day two. Day two in the morning, yes. In so, the morning, yep. breakfast. Sue's already fired up. Yeah, she's fired up. But so, soon we, she became unfired because we, uh, you know, we talked about it and said, look, there's nothing there. So she, yeah. you know, she was, um, I gave a very believable story, which was the truth. Um, you know, we were broken up. Uh, yes, Elise was coming up. But um, at the end of the day, we, that was, there was no real plans on it. That all went aside, and we mm. we did the lunch, the dinner, the, bo yeah. the on the beach, jumping in the pool, did all the the things that the show wanted. So it was 
um, continued to be just a fun weekend where they're videoing and obviously yeah. do their snippets as they do to to make it the show they do for 30 minutes, you know, because you got to remember we're there for two days and they make um, three minutes out of it. So they yeah. pull out some good parts. Yeah. So then so when you get back, when is it that the show, the, the next time you see your snippets come up, is it the next episode? Or? Well, something happened before that, which yeah. was coincidental, was I, I used to go out with a girl, Megan, sister of one of the footballers in Melbourne, and we broke up quite badly and I hadn't seen her for about two years and so we're Sue and I jumping on the plane and um, so she's got over believing that Elisa's not going to be anything and then all of a sudden I get on the plane and who's the hostess? Megan. Wow. And I thought shit what am I going to do here because it was not a great breakup. Yeah, Yeah yeah yeah. So to Megan's credit, she looked after us, gave us peanuts and everything yeah. and sat down, gave us a drink and was, was good on the trip. And we're going, how many more coincidences can happen on this show? Yeah. Um, so then you fly back um, straight to Channel 10 because they, they chuck you in a room and you 45 minutes you get interviewed and, and they, they, so they start with a question. They say, what do you think about Sue? And your normal answer would be, yeah, Sue's a, look, Sue's a nice girl or whatever. And um, I would have said, uh, yeah, she's, she's a nice person. I probably could see myself seeing her in a while or whatever. But they want you to answer the question. You never hear them asking the question. You always have to put the question back in the answer. So you would say, Sue's a really nice person. I can see a future with her. For the date, can you show us? Yes. You can and you got it. Wow. I'm attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> and your reaction to that? Um, I'm flattered. Good. So are you going to stick together? Yeah, oh, we're going to stick together. Yeah. <laughs> For a chance to recharge your batteries, either in energetic activity or just plain relaxing. So you got to remember after two days of heavy, heavy work um, partying is mm. that you're tired. and So you do 45 minutes of interviews and, and basically they snip it 30 seconds of that. That's a long interview for 30 seconds, isn't it? Well, you're getting it. They're trying to get the juicy bits, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of juicy bits, was it just the one night it was Sue? No. Uh, well, <laughs> Are you at liberty to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, then that would have been the end of Perfect Match, wouldn't it? I actually, I actually went out with Sue for about um, four or six weeks, I think, after the show because oh, okay. we, cause we were the Brisbane show. So yeah. um, she lived over in G-Bung. I was... Um, over on the south side and basically so we caught up. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we saw each other for a little while. Yeah. Did you at that stage know many people in Brisbane or...? Look, the great thing about football is that you've instantly got 40 good friends. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, jumping into a footy club is that, um, you know, there's, it's not like you're an outsider. Sure. Um, so, you know, we were at that stage uh, back in the day was City Rowers, so we were sponsored by City Rowers, so that was the nightclub to go back to. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty much um, a lot of the people you'd meet were yeah. you know, around the town. So, so you, which club was it? Morningside. Morningside okay. Footy Club. Right. And like, just a side note too, like we all probably remember City Rowers. Yeah. But for those who don't, don't know, but in, in the 90s, yeah. City Rollers, well, the city was the place to be. Like Brisbane City was the spot, right? Yeah. The valley I think was dead. You, the valley, uh, no. the valley wasn't what the valley is. No, I think in the 90s it was, if you were alternative in any sense, you were sort of in the you valley. You were in the valley, really. yeah. If you were, you know, just a normal everyday sort of person, yeah. you are in the city. And I think it was, 
City Rowers, and then there was a couple out, so there was Cafe there was, Neon, there was, which there was, was out at Mary, Mary, Street. Mary Street. Mary Street, yeah. There was a few that you never go to, like yeah. Lexington Queen or... No. But City Rowers was the spot. Like, that was the spot for all the... That was, a, that, was a Sunday, that was pretty much a Sunday night, yeah. so it was, it was chock-a-block. Yeah. And as yeah. you said, Mary Street was another one. There, yeah. was, a, there was a few others, but... Um, you got to remember this 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so this was a – when I got here, it was a, a big country town. Yeah. You know, at, coming from Melbourne. Totally. Um, yeah. Now you look at Brisbane, it's, you know, it's a city. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was a very much a different place. Yeah. I think, uh, I think back then the population hadn't even really broken a million. It might have been around a million. Yeah. But I think it's, what, 2.63 now or something. Yeah. But, yeah, Brisbane, like Max Wright, it was, it was a, like a country town – that was just on the up and coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you didn't have a lot of the outer lighting suburbs like North Lakes and so None of that no, was no, good. No, yeah, none it was of that just really the yeah, middle of the yeah. you know. But yeah, city like yeah, city rollers. Yeah, so yeah, no, actually that's that I mean that's an experience of like when you're playing professional sport and you move somewhere, yeah, you've got a crew already there and you're already an accepted insider, you're not you're not having to prove yourself to be Yeah, look, I, insider, th- right? I think um, when I originally came up here I lived on the Gold Coast lived there for about three months before Morningside said, look, you need to come up to Brisbane to live. And, yeah. and then I moved in with a couple of the Morningside boys. So it was, um, which is a, a, another story there. But uh, in terms of, you know, we actually lived in Bobby Lindner's house, which was um, in Bulimba. And it was, but it was, there was three of us living in that house. Yeah. Um, Brad, uh, Brad was uh, ex uh well, Fitzroy slash Law are uh, bears. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we used to call him Caps. Um, he was living there. So there was three of us in, in the house. So it would, you know, instantly you, you were three guys living full-time together. People would come to your house. I mean, that, it, was a, it was an easy lifestyle. Yeah. And <clears throat> with sport back then, was it like were you being paid? Was it enough to just do that or were you working as well or...? This was the start of almost, I guess, back when it became a national league. Um, right. So back then there was the VFL, which would be played on a on a Saturday, and back then there was the Sandfall. I mean, Brad was a was from Perth. He played in the in the WAFL in in, in West Australia. Um, so you had VFL on a on a Saturday and VFA on a Sunday. And then what happened was the first club that pretty much. Um, became the first national one was uh, the one that Dr. Edelson bought, which was the City Swans. So oh, that yeah, was South yeah. Melbourne. And um, he actually bought uh, the Swans. And in fact, a lot of people don't know, but like um, he was married to Leanne Edelston. Um, and they had the pink Ferrari and the pink helicopter and all that stuff. Was that they, their house was, back then again, another show was Sons and Daughters. Um, that was the, that. <laughs> that was that was where they actually did the filming of Sons and Daughters. Was Edison's right, Ed, right. house. Yeah. Yeah. What was it back in the eighties with Pink on, on vehicles? Like Stefan had that boat, and I mean, I think Pink was just you know that excessive. Yes, because that was the eighties, wasn't it? It yeah, was just yeah, yeah. all excess. Yeah, coming know? off the tail of Miami Vice and all that. Pretty sort of much, stuff yeah. Like, yeah. Just if you could stand out, you could stand out no matter what yeah. the fuck it was. Greed I mean, is good. Yeah, greed yeah. is good. Yeah. Oh, look, Edelson, I, look, I never met the guy, but uh, yeah. I know a couple of guys, obviously, that went and played the Swans, and um, he was a—he had all those pathology um, places, so he was a—he was a strange cat, I think. But yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but look, from that point, as I said, is that um, it was a—it was a—it was a different time of footy. It was the—it was the evolution of AFL. Yeah. Um, so where QAFL was at that point, probably the top level, as as was. 
VFL, VFA, SAFL, back in the day that was state of origin, that all disappeared. So then became the national comp where there was the Sydney Swans and then the Brisbane Lions and then right. um, and then you had um, West Coast Eagles and then the Adelaide Crows and then each it grew and grew and grew. Yeah. So it was, you had two clubs in each of the each of yeah. the states. So that was the start of that evolution was back in the 90s. So were you playing weekly and sort of training? Yeah, playing weekly. So coming back to that was, it. look, certainly um, it's like any of these sort of things. They, they wanted to increase the level of, of uh, skills, I guess. So it was... Obviously, Victoria was very much a AFL state. Um, the, the grand finals always played at the MCG and they pull 100,000 people. Um, Queensland and New South Wales were very much league towns. Yeah. So to try and get um, some sort of um, coverage and increase the sport knowledge in this town was, you know, because the Bears were losing quite a bit in the early days. So. Yeah. Um, we used to call them theatre goers, you know, because if, if teams are going very well, you, they get followed. If they're not going very well, the crowds drop off. off yeah. So it was, it's a hard gig to get a new sport going in a city. Sure. So a lot of players were coming from down south up and we're getting paid, obviously, to, to do it. So yeah. the money wasn't enough to just Live let on, you know. Yeah. And this, even back then, AFL wasn't professional to the point of full time. Sure. Um, you, you still had a job. So we're talking what, Brisbane Bears, hey? That, yeah, yeah, back in the Brisbane, Brisbane Bears, Bears days, yeah. yeah. That's back Warwickapa, yeah, those sort of. Right, yeah, <laughs> Warwickapa. <laughs> that's, that's another. My wife, she's not into rock and roll. Like, she was always into singer-songwriter sort of stuff coming up. Mm. When I was coming up, I was into Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Guns N' Roses were going to play in Australia probably six, seven years ago, something like that. So I said to my missus, I said, oh, come and watch some of these videos. I think because we were going to go. And I made the mistake of playing these videos in their second album when by this stage Axel's wearing bike pants and football jerseys and yeah. it was in that user illusion sort of period. Yeah, so I was, we're watching these videos. She just looks at him and she says, why is he wearing bike pants? And I just kind of dropped my head and went, oh, I don't know. It's just him. It's just him. He's cool though. And then, yeah, because I was like, "Oh, getting it's good music sort of thing, right?" And then she just says, "It looks like Warwick Kappa. (laughs) Throws her head back and cackles like a witch and just walks off." (laughs) But he does though. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like especially that that time of Axel. Like that. That's Warwick Kappa. (laughs) For anyone who's who doesn't understand like who Warwick Kappa was. Yeah. Like. Look, he was sensational for the game. I mean, uh, I actually went, uh, there was one trip we did uh, over to, so the, there was a bit of camaraderie and also um, very much uh, team against team um, with Morningside versus Southport. And Kappa went and played for Southport. And we, uh, there was three years in a row where Morningside played against Southport. And 91, actually, Morningside won the granny against Southport. But in 90, Two, um, we lost to Southport, and funnily enough, we were heading to Bali the first year we were going to Hawthorne, uh, to Hawaii, and um, so we jump on the plane, and it wasn't ideal, but um, we jump on the plane, and of course, uh, Southport are on the same plane as us. Oh no! Heading to Bali, wow. and Kappa was That's playing. That's flight. Kappa was playing for Southport. So he was a big name for the sport, which yeah. did with, did QFL massive. He was from down south, though, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he he played for the City Swans. Was yeah. he a Melbourne boy? I'm not sure where Caps actually first started, but he's he's real he's real 
highlight came from his marks where he was taking the, the, the big leaps in yeah, his, for the City yeah. Swans. So Warwick, Warwick Kappa was, he was probably the first superstar? Like... I, th I think that he was probably the first glamour boy. The glamour boy. Because he, yeah. he was married to um, Leanne. His wife was and, and was they did, like they actually stunning. Did, they actually did a Playboy spread. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so, um, which was, was interesting because, as I said, uh, back then it was Edelston. So, it was almost anything goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, Kappa was... It was a glamour boy. Leanne was a very attractive girl. Yeah. And, um, of course, he'd come from the Swans, name player. Um, and certainly, look, he, he was skillful. He could he could take a grab. So from that point is that uh, he, um, he he escalated the the presence of QAFL footy yeah, as a yeah, result. Yeah. So when – because when you were a kid, did you think that you'd play AFL or was it – like was it always a dream or was it something you fell into? Or? No, look, it wasn't for me. I, I, look – it's funny how you think, you know, like when you're at school, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, am I going to be a fire engine driver or yeah. am, I, you know, am I going to be a doctor? Am I going to be, you know, whatever. Um, I think we all change our perception of what we want to do as we as we go through life. And there was never a point in my life that I really thought that I'd play any footy. Um, uh, I started I started actually in tennis and, and um, was playing at a fair level in tennis and then went to basketball and played under Brian Curl down in uh, Melbourne at the Puma Saints. And, and back then, again, because everything wasn't so much national, it was, it was, um, it was very localised and yeah. had the local support. And I think the crowds, you know, were, were probably bigger at that point because it just had local support. But um, so I, I played under that and I was in the under-20s. And a lot of the guys above me who were at the Puma Saints, um, like... Um, Senstock, Green, you know, a lot of those guys were in the Olympic team. Right. So, you know, you were, you were a couple of levels or a level away from sort of getting to a very good spot. But, sure. I mean, there's a lot of commitment. I mean, my, my dad died when I was 16, so I lost a lot of bit of focus on life. And, yeah. and Brian sort of, I remember Curly sort of saying to me, you know, Mackie, you've got to, you've got to skip a bit more, you know, get a bit more of a leap. Mm. And I just said, oh, fuck you, I'm not going to do that much training. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to D-grade amateurs down in mm. uh, Melbourne just to play with the mates. Yeah. And that was my introduction to footy. It was just, you know, I'd just go and play some, with some mates and I was just lucky enough because I think there's no doubt if you ask a lot of guys, there's a lot of people who have not played footy at AFL that should have played footy at AFL. It's, it's, there is obviously people that are very skillful that, that make it. Um, uh, but there's, there is also a lot of people who are very skillful that didn't make it, and yeah, it's a little yeah. bit about, it's a little bit of being at the right place at the right yeah, time. Timing and like, yep, in, yep. Yeah. like anything in life, sliding, yeah. sliding doors. Yeah. So for you, you'd already had a run on in sport in at least two different sports. So when it came time to move over to another one, it wasn't that foreign to you. It was just like. Look, I guess the one thing is that you know, like with tennis, it was very much an individual sport. Of course. It's like golf you know it's it's an individual and so playing basketball became more a team sport yeah. so and i like that team environment more mm. because it's um I, I always equate it to like when it's christmas time giving out presents is i prefer to watch someone open a present that i give yeah. versus me opening some yeah. a present that someone yeah. gives me um so with team sport it's you know you giving off a handball or doing something and the camaraderie after, after that 
yeah. um, playing a sport because after you walk off and you go over that white line is you're back into friends again. Mm. Um, the competitiveness is on the field and then off the field it's back to, hey, we're mates again. Yeah. And yeah. as a result is that that's, that team environment, you know, you can't replace that because no. I think there's three circles of life in terms of family, um, work and mm. sport. Mm. And I, I always say that, you know, with football it taught me a lot of the things with, which help with the other circles of life. So, for example, is that a team of champions will never mm. beat a champion team. If you use that saying for any of those circles of life, they all work. So, What do you mean? Say so, so more about that. A team of champions mm. will never beat a champion team. Yeah, so, that, so a group yeah, of people, yeah, yeah. a group of people, a group of indi- work to, individuals will never be a group of people who work together. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So, going from a sport that's individual like tennis, going to a team environment, mm. you have to work together, or yeah. you get nowhere. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be the star and, and and do it by yourself, that team will never succeed. But yeah. when you teams, there's teams that have obviously won sports in any sport, whether it's NFL, but what any sport that basically probably might not have been the best team in terms of names on the sheet of paper, but they were the best team that interacted together. Because mm. they could cohere sort yep. of thing, yeah. Worked, Absolutely. Yeah. And right. was that something that in your life in sport you've you've seen people that have been in the team but they're more individually focused because they want to be the superstar and that that feeling, everybody kind of knows it really, you know. Yeah, I think I think we've all seen it in every part of our life. Yeah, that's true. Um, whether it's work or, you know, I, I mean, again, with work, my, my, my belief is to always employ people that I think are better than me because they make my job easier. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are threatened by that. Yeah. Mm. Um, they like to get people not as good as them because... Mm. As I said, they feel threatened. I, I think that's a poor attitude. No, that's right. Um, as a result is that with football, yes, you do sometimes see, or in sport, let's talk sport in general. In sport in general, you'll see people that, that might not have that philosophy mm. and as a result become individualistic. Mm. Uh, and sometimes that can be their demise mm. because they're, they're not part of the team. Yeah. I mean, nothing beats the, the team. It's... Someone once said to me that um, a friend of mine that uh, was at GWS is that the best thing about a team is it's like fabric. Mm. And fabric, if you put it together, it's like it's interwoven Mm. and very hard to pull apart. When you get people that work together and for each other, that's like almost hard to beat. It forges strength. Yep, absolutely. See, that goes to... I, I try to... I talk to my daughter a lot about the importance of sport and it sort of goes back to what you were saying before was it it's almost like a teacher of life isn't it It, you can sort of look at look at sport in that way well this is what this is what i why i think sort of children should you know play sport when they're young because it sort of teaches them the whole thing of the winning and the losing the um teamwork achieving you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's almost like lessons in life that can be learned pretty early. It's, there are so many sayings. Yeah. And um, we can all use, some of the best speakers in the world use some analogies that we all resonate to. Um, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Mm. Um, and, but it's true. Yeah. Because when people, when people work together, um, they don't, you know, I often say to people, you don't work for me, you work with well, me. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so you don't put yourself on a pedestal yeah. and say I'm better. Yeah. 
like we're all equal. Yeah. And as a result is once you get that belief, there's a there's a there's a there's a thing that just clicks with you like just putting a piece in a jigsaw puzzle yeah. that makes it fit. Mm-hmm. And you can't pull that apart. You can't you can you can get you can find a weakness in people that don't want to don't want to really understand that meaning of teamwork. Mm. Um, which is as a result of sport, I've got to say, has been the greatest life lesson for me for the other two circles that I work with. Which sure. Is, which is my work and family. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's, sense, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I, um, I remember years and years ago I had uh, a good mate of mine, Gavin Allen, he played in, uh, in the uh, NRL. Um, I think he's in the top ten hits of uh, NRL. And Jed was his nickname. We had to do this speech up at... Um, Cannon Hill, uh, Cannon Hill Primary School. Anyway, at this stage I'd gone up to sort of with Jed and there was, I, I can't remember, there was another guy there as well and I wasn't sure if I had to speak or not but anyway, it turns out I had to and we had all these little kids in front of us, mm-hmm. you know, and here's Gavin Allen, an icon of, you know, NRL, played for Queensland, um, doing his speech and then all of a sudden I have to come out and talk, you know, he's little Neil McIntosh that comes out and, <laughs> and has to follow Gavin Allen. But there was one thing um, during the during the took my little talk, I said to the kids, because you looked at all the kids' faces around and and realised that, you know, it's not all about winning. Mm. And I remember saying to the kids and uh, was that you don't have to win mm. to be a winner. And I remember coming off and Gavin said to me, Macca, I'm that's so true. Yeah, like yeah. telling kids, you know, like because so many kids are brought up with you must win, you must win, you must win. Mm. But you can learn a lot of lessons from losing. Sure. You know, because we talk about this when we have mm. off-air times is that, you know, to understand your highs, you must have lows. That's right, yeah. And, and that's learning in any aspect, as I said. Oh, yeah. Lo- losing stuff is your biggest teacher, really. Absolutely. When you said that. Was that premeditated, or it just came to you in the moment? No, it it, it it was really odd because it just it did come to me because yeah. it was the kids were there and I looked at their faces and just I realised that Gavin was talking about you know because they were looking at him and this is this is Queensland which is very much a state of origins that's the rugby elite, league you know, yeah rugby, rugby league city, yeah. rugby league state and um, and you saw them just looking and listening and mm. as kids are, they're sponges and, and, and just absorbing everything. Um, so when I was there, a lot of the things that I had to say probably weren't as relevant or as important to be, you know, to absorb as, mm. as much as listening to Gavin Allen. So it was something that just sort of, I looked at their faces and just said, if I can only tell you one thing, kids, enjoy your sport yeah. and just remember you don't have to win to be a winner. And it was it was it popped out, but it was it was something that I believe too because yeah. you know one of the things is that um, with football is that I travelled a lot with football and as a result um, I actually never won a grand final played in plenty um, yeah. so and that was always the aim is to win win the grand final mm. sure um, but. In life, I look back now. I mean, I've played at more clubs than Greg Norman's got in his golf bag. Mm. Um, so, but the great thing about it was the people I met at mm. each of those clubs, and the stories that we can tell as a result. And look back now on as a result of those clubs. Yeah. Yes, I would have loved to have a medal around my neck at the end of the year to say that was 
that was the pinnacle of yeah. the year and that would have capped it off. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the life lessons that you get out of it and then take that to the other parts of your life. Yeah, As individuals, I think that we, we have to understand that there's, there's probably two parts to us, um, the mind and the body. Mm-hmm. The mind is far stronger than the body. Mm. If the mind says stop, the body stops. The mind says go, we go. Yeah. Um, and I think that through through sport, you know, we learn that that's very much because it becomes a mind over matter thing quite often. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden is I remember, you know, when I was at St Kilda, it was we well, it was under Jezelinko, and we at the end of the training, Jezelinko. Mm. Something had gone wrong and basically he said, you've got to do 10 laps of Indian file. But, uh, Indian file is we all just get in one one line and basically the guy at the front, it's a jog. Um, so the they, guy at the front sets the pace? Well, it's just a slow jog. So everyone's jogging and the guy at the back has to sprint the full distance of the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. And then when he gets to the front, the next one at the back runs to the front. Instantly I was thinking... The field's roughly about 400, 450 metres, so we're, we're about to do a 4K run, mm. you know. And for me, I remember Tony Jewell saying to me I couldn't run outside on a dark night because I actually was never very good at running. Mm. And so my mindset was that I didn't like I didn't like the process of I'm going to have to do 4Ks here. Mm. Um, whereas you had people like Paul Tomei at Sequilla, like he was a – almost a professional runner. Mm. So running for him was natural. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure what their mindset is that makes them, you know, marathon people like Di Costello. I mean, what makes them run 48Ks? Mm. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, but my, yeah. my mindset is that I, I can't do that. So mm. the store, I guess the thing about that is that mindset is everything. Mm. I'm sure if I started to tell myself every day, I can do that, I can do that, like like the old mm. Puff and Billy, I can get there, I can get there. Yeah, you know, yeah. that maybe you can teach yourself to say, I will do that, even though previously you thought you couldn't. Yeah, I think those endurance things, they, they bring one into the present moment because any thought that I can't do it is pro- your mind projecting into the future going, holy shit, I've got 40 fucking Ks. I don't know if I'm going to do 40 metres, let alone that, right? Mm, but yeah. those guys that do that, they can't think. Like, they just – that exercise itself in doing it brings you straight into where you are right now, you know, and that's I, I feel that like that's how they do it because I'm not – I can't fathom that sort of shit. I'm, I'm the same. Like long-distance stuff is no good for me, but I've, I've even heard stories of – Especially, you know, those guys. What you're talking about, Mac, that that are endurance runners, who basically their mind can go somewhere to a, a place. Well, just, just even, you know, just you know, we've just had the Olympics. You know, you look at the swimmers, mm-hmm. like fifteen hundred meters. That's 30, 30 laps. Yeah. I try to do a I couple die. of laps, yeah. and my, my arms are hurting. Yeah. Mm. What? pain do they go through and and then push mm. through that pain yeah. to get to where they need to go which is the finish line mm. but they know they actually know that they're going to go through that pain mm. that, but their mind says i know i'm going to do it mm. and i'm going to get there mm. and so yeah, that's yeah. a mentality it's just an acceptance isn't and it? The, do you know what maybe that's what makes people elite mm. because some people break down at that pain mm. whereas other people get through the pain yeah mm. I've watched things on, um, you know, like they, they talk about Michael Jordan, for instance, having that 
that kind of like psychopathic mind frame to be able to achieve the things that he does. And they said Kobe Bryant had that kind of thing and, and probably nameless other people, oh, shitloads of other people in different sport who have that same thing that some people call it psychopathic, but what it is, I don't know. I think it's just an X factor or it could be, I think maybe all of us have it. Or Look, I, it's funny, sometimes I've sat down and thought, you know, in every, we talk about that there's a gene of cancer in every single person. Now, some, some people get cancer, some people don't. Mm. I mean, you look at people that are either elite runners, elite swimmers, um, volleyball, what, whatever, mm. um, musicians. Mm. How do we, again, it comes back to that sliding doors. Like we could have been, I could have been an amazing celloist. Mm. But I never picked up a cello. Mm. It's mm. it's about again the right time, right place. What 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 instrument? What sport? Something that we do. We could have been a lead at, but we just never did it. Mm. I, I, look, you watch a movie or watch singer, and you go like there was a show on the other day. You know, with Adele, mm. what an amazing voice! Incredible. Is, is that a gift? Yeah. Or is is that teaching the voice that we've all got to be able to do that? Sometimes it just comes down to one word and a lot of people will say to me, you know, what is it that drives you? Mm. Well, for me the one word is challenge. Mm. So you wake up as long as you've got a challenge. Mm. That's what drives me is whether that's going to be in sport or work or family, mm. it's the challenge to perform mm. um, and make sure that you do the best that you can do at for that challenge. Mm. And I'd, I'd rather have a challenge in front of me that I fail at than something put in front of me that I can easily do. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad once told me when I was playing tennis early mm. was always play someone better than you mm. because that's how you learn to get better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, a lot of people will, this is what we talk about with work, where people don't employ people that are better than them because it's a, they're worried that they might get shown up. Mm. But that's, yeah. not the, that's not life. Mm. Mm. Life is being about surrounding people, good people around yourself mm. who can teach you lessons mm -hmm. and you learn from them to be a better person. Yeah, and also that you can physically see them do something and you go, I've now seen a human being in front of me do something, I could do that too. Yep. And that's happened to me in my life with um, playing music. When I first met a guitarist just at a party, that I'd heard about him before but never met him, but I met him at a party. There's people out the back partying, but he was happened to be sitting on a practice amp on a guitar and he was playing Led Zeppelin and Hendrix songs Lick for Lick and I was good enough, had a good enough ear at the time to go, wow, that's Lick for Lick, like mm. that's really good. Just seeing that made me go, that's possible because it wasn't like watching it on TV or something. Yeah. And, um, and then for some reason I was kind of, oh, I'm interested in this and I'll, I'll learn this kind of thing, you know. But... And that's the thing, again, you, you do see elite people. Mm. I mean, people are, they're not, there aren't people that just, there are people that work very hard that get very good. Yeah. But I remember one time coming back here with um, Danny Spencer who plays um, lead guitar for, for Barnsley mm. and um, Mick who plays drums for the Baby Animals. And we came back here one night before we were going to a party, grabbed a couple of guitars and my go-to song, as you know, is Your Body's Wonderland. Mm. Um, so I was sitting here and Danny says to me, Macca, come on, 
grabbed the guitar, Mick grabbed a pair of bongos, mm. and we're sitting here and he just said, you just play and let me just join in. Now, these two guys had never played with me before. Mm. I will say to this day that was the most amazing rendition I ever did because those two were freaks in my mind in terms of the way that they could play. Danny Spencer, the way he filled that song mm. while I was just playing the song that I would play a thousand times. The bass chords, yeah. And the way Mick jumped in, yeah. it was the best rendition of all time because they were so skillful what they do yeah. at, their, at their art. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that there's people that are born with like full-on talent, like a gift. Like Julie Andrews apparently was pitch perfect and she could just come in and you'd just say sing a C and she'd just sing a C. And I've listened to her sing songs where there's no... Like on a good day when I can sing, the first verse is rubbish because I'm just trying to find relatively where the, where the notes are. But you watch some people like that and they're just on point straight away. As soon as it starts, they're, they're perfect, you know. Mm. And if you translate that out to all sorts of people, like my dad, he was, a, he was a mathematician, he just was able to see the place where those numbers and, and symbols all sort of gelled together. And I was never able to see any of that. You know? But that's what they say. It's like... You know, like in regards to your father, he could see numbers. Some musicians can see sounds. Some musicians can see, um, you know, like f for like me, for instance. Like I think I explained to you last time was when I when I'm writing a song, I I write it visually. Like, and that's that's not. A normal way to write yeah, a like song. Yeah, like by visually you mean you're seeing a film clip in Like I can, yeah, I can literally see the film clip. So I'm writing towards the emotion of that clip, mm. what's going on in my head. You know, yeah, so some, that's the thing is like sometimes, that's where it goes back to what, what Macca was saying, it's like just the way that your brain sort of takes information and spits it out or takes information and feeds it through you in whatever way it does, each individual is different. Well, and the way they do that, I'll quite often say to people, "Are you hearing me or are you listening to me?" Because of the difference. Yeah, that's you can. That's important. Yeah, you can hear what I'm saying, but are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it going in one ear out the other, yeah. or is yeah. it sinking in? Yeah. That's like we were talking about yeah. Wesley Snipes before. Oh. And there's a, in the movie he goes, "No man, you know you got to be able to." You're either hearing Jimi Hendrix or you're listening to him, Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> and it's different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't hear Jimi. You yeah, don't hear Jimi. Yeah, you listen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that that would be the greatest thing for parents would be to be able to determine actually where their children's gifts lie, and if mm. there was a way to do that and encourage them to move them there, because. You know, what if you were the Michael Jordan of something and you never came across it? Well, that's that's it. That's what I said is it's sliding doors. Mm. You you might be you might have been number one in the world in tennis, but you never picked up a tennis racket. Mm. It's a time and moment that, and so yes, obviously there's seven billion people in the world, so we probably get to see a select few out of all sports and all genres of music and all everything. But there's so many more people out there that are geniuses in something, but they've just never had the opportunity to find out what at it. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that's that right. crazy? Yeah. Like, to, to think about that. Yeah. Like, all that wasted gifts, all the wasted talent. Not necessarily, not necessarily wasted, but just missed. Because you go to school, and school's a system to 
teach people things to be credible in the world and fulfil functions in the world, right? From everything to accounting to being in the military or whatever it is, right? But it doesn't seem to be, unless you just stumble across really great teachers, mm. it, it doesn't seem to be the sort of thing that they can go, wow, this this kid is not good at school, in inverted commas, but he's got massive talents in this area. Mm. And just to stream them into let's, that Let's area. focus on that. Yeah, 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 whether it be whatever it is, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that's a, that's a that's a great idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, even talking to you, Max. Sorry, that, sorry. Yeah, you're right. With um, when you were saying, I think you mentioned to me once that you were tested in some capacity for your, yeah, your look, aptitude uh, in mathematics. And or? that look, that's um, again something I've learned was that you know because as I said earlier, my dad died when I was sixteen, and I, I lost my way. So in high school, my back then it was called HSC. Yeah. Um, I think I got straight E's. You know, I failed everything. Yeah. Um, which back then was, you know, chemistry, biology, maths yeah. one and two, whatever it was, English. Um, and then when I went for it, you know, back then it wasn't that important to go to uni, whereas now it's pretty much you have to. But, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is that going for a job once, they made me do an aptitude test of different things. So one was English, one was um, analytics. Yeah. Um, so they would, they were just tests you did for half an hour and they could tell you what you were, you know, yeah. how good you were at certain things. One of the things that was a test was maths. Mm. Now I got E and E in maths one and two, mm. but in the in the actual test at the end of it, I was in the top three percent in Australia in Australia for that. You know, what was the that te- test was? Yeah. yeah. So the big lesson for that was that. When I interview people, I'm not particularly worried. I mean, if you're a doctor or a surgeon, or you need to know what you're doing. Mm. But street smart is street wise. Mm. I think people like to deal with people. So I'm not particularly, I look at an, a resume and as long as people aren't changing all the time, mm. if they can sit in front of me mm. and they can converse genuinely mm. with me, I find that person probably will succeed with what is going to happen in the area I'm in in sales. Mm. So it's not about... Being being able to read a book and pass a subject, mm. it's actually what's in your brain mm. Mm. and your heart too. Yeah. Yeah. What do you reckon, fellas? Wrap on, it on that note. I think I, I think I should just say that yeah. um, at the end of it all, Sue and I didn't work out. <laughs> um, so just getting back to perfect match. <laughs> oh, shout out to Sue. If you, uh, yeah, if you hear like this. Sue, if uh, yeah. if you're out there and you remember me. Uh, do we want to catch up again? Maybe not, maybe. But the thing is that, um, you know, that was a great time of life and uh, then the day was, you know, went back, did the interview, went back and did the, the second show. And, and um, but uh, it was a good thing to start this whole topic on where we were just, you know, just saying a minute ago is that we start with a, a, a little ball and, mm-hmm. and let it roll down the mountain like a, you know, like a snowball and it becomes bigger and bigger and, and where does the conversation take you? Yeah. And... Again, any of those stories are, are what we just talked about was fishbone marketing where you've got the spine of what you want to talk about but mm. what leads off that. And a lot of these conversations are as much as we try to pinpoint it, they mm. actually become quite a big object that we're hitting at. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't become a rifle approach. It becomes a shotgun Yeah. because yeah. we hit a lot of targets. Yeah. Yeah. So What a beautiful way to end it. All right, until next time. Until next time, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back with our catch-up wrap.
You may even meet your match. Simply become a contestant. GPO Box 4204, Sydney 2001. Thank you for joining us on our very first episode of Chess Sub Brothers, spreading the word. We hope you join us again for some great conversations with our upcoming guests. You can follow us at jsbpodcast.com.au and our social channels linked from our website. If you've enjoyed your time with us, tune in for upcoming episodes on all the major podcasting platforms. Thanks again for listening.